Abolition. Abolition. Today. What Today. may seem like a semantic difference in slaves, slaves, um, is actually really important, and it's not just semantics. It has, it has meaning. To be enslaved means what? Means that you are actively captured, <laughs> and you're a captive, and then you are turned into a slave. In other words, the process of enslavement is the process of turning somebody who is not a slave into a slave. So then when you say somebody's a slave, what you're doing is, is, is that you are actually just marking that person as a person who was always a slave. Enslavement is, a, is about what? It's about trying to make sure that we understand that the people from Africa who came over into the New World, whose labor was the foundation of the American wealth and of European wealth and of the making of the modern world, that they were actually captives. They were captives and they were turned into something else. So they were human beings who were captured, made captive, and turned into slaves. Even if I am born a slave, I am born captured. I am born into, um, into a situation where I cannot be anything else but enslaved. And therefore, the business of enslavement always is about an active way in which a human being is made a slave. Scholars and scientists now concede that Africa is the birthplace of mankind. Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, Emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Hit it, 
power of the Trinity. Soul made in Niger, my vice made in Italy. White man's world that I'm living in, some say. But it was Africa, the continent we all came from. Can't nothing come between me and you. So before I have seeds, gotta understand my roots. Gotta understand the truth. We is all kings round here. Life's not all fair. Work till we fall dead. All going hard till I earn like a poor bird. Although my body's in the U.S., my heart's there. I can never be ashamed of her. I got my features and my name from her. Mama The richest place on earth. Know just what you're worth. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard Anthony Bogues of Brown University uh, speaking on the enslaved versus slaves, the difference between the two, followed by Stephen Marley, Made in Africa, and that was featuring Wale from the cast of Fela. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org 
Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, my name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Coffee Abolitionist Center, sitting right across from Tribal Way. Hey, peace, Tribal. Peace. So last week we presented an interpretation of Frederick Douglass's question, what to the currently enslaved is the 4th of July? And we ended the show with the actual, his descendants uh, reading his famous speech, what to the slave is the 4th of July. So you definitely want to check that out. And this week, we anticipated having the Queen Mother of Benin, West Africa, Her Majesty Queen Mother, Dwalti Desea Hunan Huna II, Gwele of Oida Benin. We're literally about three hours ago that she's very ill and unable to attend tonight. So we want to wish her a very speedy recovery. And we want to send out all the healing energy that we can towards her. So stay tuned for updates on her future appearance. Now, with that being said, the show must go on, as they say in show business. Right, Max? Yes. Uh, you know, my thoughts are definitely with the Queen Mother right now. When I spoke to her earlier, she sounded so bad. And, you know, she just got into New York like a month ago. And we got these crazies out here don't, who don't wear masks and don't have vaccinations. And I'm afraid that she may have been exposed to something terrible. I hope not. In any case, that's where my mind is today, thinking about her. Like everybody else, I was looking forward to tonight's event. Uh, but right. we, will, we will have her here on air in the future. We're not going to worry about that too much now. We'll be more concentrate, concentrating on her uh, healing and recovery. Um, man, it, it, as always, it's been an eventful week, and this being the culmination of it, right? Uh, right. Back on the 6th, I was a guest on WBAI radio. Uh, in New York, that was that was a lot of fun out there uh, with Johanna Fernandez, uh, Professor Johanna Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a program called New Day, and she asked me and excuse me Tag to come in and discuss uh, the in the exception movement that is happening in the exception dot com. Um, so we came on seven o'clock in the morning, the morning show, and uh, we broke it down for. Her. And it got such a powerful response from uh, the tri-state area that they asked us to come back the next day. So we came back the seventh in part two <clears throat> again in the morning, and that was very powerful. I, I appreciate her giving us the opportunity to reach that audience like that, who were very well versed already on the subject. And uh, I also offered an invitation to Professor Fernandez to come and join us here on Abolition Today at one point. That would be huge having her on the show. Uh, I've been friends with Johanna for, I don't know, a few years. And, uh, that yeah, that would be tremendous. And it was just great uh, that you were on the program. It was early in the morning. I completely forgot about it until after the program had already happened. And I said, man, I completely yeah. forgot about it. Uh, it, it was it was nice, uh, but it sucked getting up so early in the morning to get on the radio. You know what I mean? I need like a, right. I'm getting old. I need like an hour or two just to get my head <laughs> free. You know what I mean? Right, and that get rid of the Barry White voice and everything. Right, uh, and we also got together and had the ASNN uh, leadership uh, team meeting recently, and uh, we're preparing mm-hmm. for our anniversary, August 28th will be our one-year anniversary of the Abolished Slavery National Network, man. And just looking at 
back over this one single year, how much has been accomplished is mind-blowing. You know what I mean? Like our footprint is all across the country and internationally. Hence the program we have today where we're going to be talking to our United Nations representative, uh, the Queen Mother. Uh, So it's really powerful to see what we've accomplished in a year. Just a few people really uh, working together with uh, other groups to get shit done. So we've been invited to come and speak at several marches, which are occurring on August 28th on the anniversary of the March on Washington. So we've been invited to come to Washington, to California and Atlanta. And I believe several of our members are going to do exactly that. And then later in the afternoon, after speaking at these marches on the anniversary, uh, we will have a special online presentation uh, on our anniversary. So I'm looking forward to that, too. Absolutely. Looking forward to it as well. I want to I go to Cali. <laughs> we, di- we did the, uh, the Washington, D.C. thing already. Let's take a trip well, out to Cali. you got to remember, bro, I'm a spoken word artist, and to think, of being in D.C. on the anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech and have an opportunity to present this issue to the world, uh, standing there with the King family, shit, that, that would be pretty powerful, bro. It'd be hard to turn yeah, down. But it would I, be. I yeah, it would be hard years. to turn that down. Yeah, it definitely would be hard to turn that down. And I'm just completely forgetting that, you know, just how powerful it was when we were in D.C. for the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March you know, back in 2017, just how dynamic it was, although they were events all over the country, D.C. was really the place to be that day. So yeah. definitely right about that. Yeah, but, you know, California, especially in Northern California, is where all my family is at, brothers and sisters and mothers and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right. you know, nephews and nieces. And, uh, you know, I would love to have them be able to see something like that occur. So I'm kind of torn. Uh, if I had a jet, I'd go to both, bro. <laughs> if I had a jet, I'd go to <laughs> That's right. Speak and then jump right on the plane and head on out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we prepared today's broadcast because there's a part of our introduction we see, and by for-profit prisons worldwide. But what we mean by that is that the uh, United States model of prison for profit using prisons and economic development programs have been adopted globally and nowhere more than in, on the continent of Africa. Uh, throughout the program, mm-hmm. we'll probably mention the uh, corporation called G4S, which is the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. And it's a prison and security company, <laughs> the largest employer. Uh, also, the conditions that are going on throughout the prison systems in Africa are way beyond imagining. Um, in our worst case scenarios here in the United States are not as bad as their best days in some of the prisons like in Haiti and in Ghana and in Zimbabwe and in Nigeria. Uh, terrible conditions, very much like uh, colonial style, you know. Uh, so we're going to talk about the numbers and what we found and the conditions throughout the evening. Also, uh, again, I'm very concerned with the Queen Mother because, you know, in addition to her being sick, she's also Haitian-born, and the president of Haiti was just assassinated, and his wife uh, was gravely injured. Uh, you know, so if you want to say something on that, feel free, Brother Yusuf. Well, I really wanted to direct my question to the Queen because – 
uh, of her connection, of her being from Haiti, originally, you know, born in Haiti, and also her connection to the leadership there, her, her herself being, you know, of the leadership, and then, you know, there's just a different type of connection on that level, and I just wanted to speak to her on that, and, you know, as we've spoken about the the reparations situation with Haiti, with Haiti having to pay reparations to France. It was sort of like they were extorted by by France. And then the U.S. government also, you know, invaded in the early 1900s. I think it was around 1915, 1917, and there was further extortion going on over the years. And it wasn't until, I believe, 1947 or 1967, I, I get the two confused, as to when they actually were able to pay back all of the so the formerly enslaved were forced to pay the slave masters. We we have this recurring theme going on because we spoke about that going on in DC, you know, last week. And so yeah, I wanted to discuss some things like that with her, but that's all I had to say on that topic, Max. I'm really upset, but you know, I, I accept the creator's will. You know, I was really looking forward to speaking to the Queen Mother this evening. Um, the last time I spoke with her, uh, she told me that she would be looking into the prison conditions in Benin. Because we did speak about prisons all across Africa. Uh, we have a YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash abolition today. If you go there, you'll see a playlist called uh, international prison slavery. And it tells you a lot about what we're saying here as in the adoption of this for-profit prison model. And uh, they use it as economic development programs. Uh, for example, um, when Jamaica sued Britain for reparations, instead of reparations, they offered to build a new prison system in Jamaica. and show them how to make money using these prison systems. Uh, and, and I'm not joking. That is a serious thing. That happened. It really happened. Uh, the uh, prime minister uh, of Britain at the time uh, told the Jamaicans that instead of reparations, how about if we build you a prison system? And even in Benin, we've seen the same thing start to occur. But as I said, the problem with the African prison system is that many of the buildings are largely outdated and woefully overpopulated. And Benin, their prison population it was over 200%. Uh, I'll read a little article uh, that I found, says, or that Yusuf found, actually, that says, Beninese prisoners face overcrowding and lack of access to water, food, and the supervision of trained staff. In July of 2016, the prison occupancy rate was 204%. Shared cells are overcrowded, and sleeping quarters are subject to strict rules between prisoners. The space allocated to each inmate depends on seniority. The majority of prisoners sleep on the floor, head to foot, unable to move. This proximity, promiscuity, promotes the spread of disease that develops rapidly due to the lack of hygiene. One of the reasons for this overcrowding is the particularly high number of defendants as compared to the number of convicted persons. So they're putting a lot of people who have not been convicted still waiting trials. And the videos that I saw People have been waiting for years. One man was in there for nine years, still waiting for a trial. In 2011, former President uh, Yehi Boni expressed his willingness to initiate policies to reduce prison overcrowding and to make detention conditions more humane. His first, first step, step was to initiate the construction of 10 prisons. <laughs> 10 prisons. 
Wow. That's how we're going to make it more hate We're going to build more prisons. And in right. case you see alternatives to incarceration had been planned but never implemented. The authority and drift of the president eventually affected the justice sector and the reform policy on criminal and prison law. Uh, you can read the rest of that on our page. But they have a uh, population of 10 million. They've got a presidential government. Uh, and they say the human development index, whatever that is, is 0.485. Uh, but the numbers was what, you know, the way they, they're doing this prison is just doing me for a loop. You know, my men laying on bare floor, floor, head to foot, packed in like sardine cans. And the imagery looks like a slave ship. You know, here's here's a situation where you know I'm gonna quote the Shawshank Redemption. It's one of the most poignant lines in the film when the the warden said that the the state government's answer to everything is more walls, more bars, and more guards. And you know, when election time comes around, we always hear this law and order, law and order. You and I address that on this program, and this is this is the result of it. It's just lock more people up because it's a cash cow waiting to happen. And so I'm looking through the link that you provided to our page, Abolition Today, on YouTube, and under the link for international prison slavery, just looking at the thumbnail photos will just, you know, hit you in the heart. Just looking at the photo, photo that's not even listening to the videos or watching the video and seeing further imagery. It's just so disheartening seeing this and so inhumane and how just realizing that there are those out there that put money above that, put money above the human condition because the people that they're doing to it, doing it to don't look like them or aren't in the same class as them, aren't in the same caste as them, aren't in the same level of society as others. So it's very disheartening seeing that, Max. Um, I, I was sent a message that uh, my voice is going in and out. So if you notice that, let me know, and I'll do what I can to fix it. All right? Yeah, it, it, it's done it a few times, but it was usually only briefly. I think maybe if you, when you move or something, it happens. Okay. Um, you know, Haiti is also another one of those places where horrible things are occurring within their prison systems where they're using the prisons as an economic development program not long after the earthquake hit Haiti, the GEO Group was one of the first contractors to send in bids to build new prisons over there. And again, look at the videos that we have available for you. Uh, it's human rights uh, crimes happening beyond imagination. Uh, men are, are just being picked up off the streets and thrown into the cells and not even seeing lawyers or judges or getting trials. There was one man who said he had been in there for five years and he still doesn't even know why. <laughs> like, wow, it's like kidnapping, you know. So we have certain protections here in the United States. As much as we talk about it and criticize it, which we should rightly do so, we do have certain uh, privileges and rights and limits that we don't tend to go past. Uh, those things don't exist uh, in other countries. And you see them uh, expressed within the videos on our prison, international prison slavery playlist. Uh well, speaking of Haiti again, let's go ahead and play a clip from the new film that's coming out featuring Queen Mother. Uh, it's called Voodoo, The Theology of Liberation. Uh, in addition to being uh, the uh, leopard queen, I think it was called, she's called, 
Um, mm-hmm. Bani is also a voodoo high priestess, uh, and she's participating in a uh, video. So let's go ahead and hear the clip of that, and we'll come back on the other side and take a couple calls. If you do want to participate today in the conversation, remember to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you have a question or a comment. Right. This is Voodoo, the Theology of Liberation. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Even though this day largely remains uncelebrated in the history books today, the positive reverberations from this moment on for black people worldwide and its implication for social justice is best summed up in a quote of the American icon and abolitionist Frederick Douglass, himself visiting Haiti in 1893. We should not forget the freedom you and I enjoy today is largely due to the brave stand taken by the black sons of Haiti 90 years ago. Striking for their freedom, they struck for the freedom of every black man in the world. The Afro-Atlantic tradition and voodoo is no exception. Is a theology of liberation. So we are our own masters. And therefore, it is up to us to shape and define those spaces and take back those spaces that are rightfully ours. A theology of liberation is a set of principles, a set of of canons that uh, rules, regulations, uh, uh, theories, practices that enable us again to think and act freely, morally, justly, and in consideration for others. This is how voodoo becomes relevant in the 21st century. You know, the idea of the Haitian Revolution wasn't just about um, unshackling enslaved Africans in Haiti, um, but all over the world. The the Haitian Constitution wasn't written just to um, acknowledge the nation state of Haiti, the Haitian Republic, but it was about acknowledging and creating a state for African descendants wherever they were, because any African could come home to IET. They couldn't get to Africa, they could come home to IET, the extension of Africa, and be a free man, a free woman, a free child there. Okay, so this idea of, of, of liberation um, is there. The idea of spaces, you know, the sort of ecology of our movement is about establishing a, a place of justice uh, for us. At its end, the nation that Voodoo had inspired was quintessentially a pan-African expression. The result of the concerted actions of African and African-descended peoples in the attainment of a common future beneficial to all. At the time of the revolution, the demographics of Haiti's black society itself reflected this pan-African dynamic. There were recently arrived enslaved Africans from West and Central West Africa and those born in the diaspora, some of whom were free people. Not only was there um, the various ethnic groups of Africa present, in Haiti, for example, but also we have Africans who were already brought to different islands present in Haiti. When we talk of of the various personalities at home, we see somebody like Bookman Duty. Bookman Duty came from Jamaica. 
and Bookman Juti was first a Muslim, but Bookman became uh, a high priest of Voodoo in Haiti. Uh, King Henry of Haiti was first from Grenada, then sold in Saint-Domingue, then he became involved in the revolution in Haiti, and then became the first king of Haiti after independence. What the knowledge of being a force of nature also affords the due devotees is a direct means of communication with nature in order to receive guidance and instructions. This is the science of Vidu, and we see how the liberators put such knowledge to use to gain advantage in the war. Once you're dealing with the fundamental principles of life, all of life is about freedom, and fundamental principles of life do not take you anywhere but to a different expression of freedom. Therefore, when you are into the doom and you are one with the cosmos, the, 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 the rainbow, the clouds, the rain, the river, everything has its place, everything has its function, everything participates in the life and communicates with everything else, then it is natural that that would bring everybody that is there find it easy to find the way to function together and attain and reach victoriously an objective such as freedom. Abolition. 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 That was Voodoo Theology of Liberation. You're listening to Abolition Today. If you're listening and want to call in with a question or comment, the number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1, the number 1 on your keypad, so that we know you have a question or comment. Yusuf? That was powerful, Max. And I need to see that in its entirety to really digest the things that she was saying in there, both speakers. It It was just tremendous. Absolutely. You know, where it says it throws light on its fundamental tenets and concepts to illustrate why it's essential when galvanizing the efforts of enslaved Africans of different backgrounds. <sighs> yeah, I, I, need yeah. To, I need to see more of it and really digest it. The video will be available if you're listening on our Abolitions Day page on Facebook. Um, we know a lot of people don't go to Facebook. We hope we're a reason that you can visit every now and then. Uh, so you can go to Abolition Today. You can find everything we're talking about uh, right there. Thanks to Jeanette, Jeanette Smith, who uh, shares it as we speak about it. So you guys uh, get it immediately. All right, let's go yeah, ahead and take this phone call, too. Oh, go ahead. Yusuf, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, in most, conversation, when I, in most conversations that involve Haiti, the first thing that comes up is voodoo. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood things in the world. You know, as it as it relates to voodoo in Haiti and in in, in Africa, right? And any and, type, any anything outside of the realm of mainstream religion is always questioned, and it's never like really looked at and interpreted. So and, I definitely want to take a look at that. First thing in my mind again is concern for the Queen Mother, thinking, hoping that everything is going to be okay with her. And remembering also that she's born in Haiti and she's the queen mother of Benin. Those are the top two 
uh, centers for voodoo, and she's a high priestess. So nobody knows more than her. And right. she's speaking of this as a theology of liberation. And I, I like the sounds of that and how it can apply in the 21st century. Let's go ahead right. and take this phone call. Uh, 8373, you are on air. Yeah, Would you say that? I think that's our boy Casino. 8373, is that you, Alonzo? Yeah, that's me or whatnot. I said, uh, yeah, yeah, we got, we see y'all talking about the queen. We, uh, we want to probably begin it off with the port that, uh, the mad rapper port or whatnot. He's going to come in now and, and, and he has something to dedicate for the queen. Okay, no just just be mindful that the queen is not here this this evening. I don't know if you were, were yeah, on when I we made that announcement. That. Yeah, I told yeah, yeah, we had made that announcement, and we we especially would send our regards for her in this poem, and uh, we hope that she'll be listening and uh, her family be able to appreciate it too. That is, I'm gonna turn it over to the brother. What's up, Max? What's going on, brother? The mad poet is calling us from Angola right now. Angola prison. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're right here, man. It's all good. Heard about what happened to the queen, man. My regards goes out to her, bro. Peace and blessings, you know, and healing to her. Got some for right here, man. It's called Peace, Blessings, and Wall Ready. You know? Let's put an ease to over 400 years of suffering. And no matter what, true power lies in the heart of the queen's mother. Man bore side where she possessed the ability to cover all paths of life with clean covers. Shit, together we can fuck over these mean suckers. And don't think our only focus is the 13th Amendment. Man, we coming for all them positions. Rewriting all the statistics. And I'm SP Live, baby. You even got a new voice covering the lyrics. Even if I got to take one for the team, as long as we gain distance, striking the wall. Sam Smith shit. Marcus Garvey, Ben had them writings on the wall. It's like that brother was a psychic. It wasn't sighting. He ain't called. Consider the Black Star Line concerning solutions. I heard they had one of the nicest of them all. You can go ahead and say Rip Van Winkle done ran his course. Despite all we lost through unemployment. Big brother being deported. Nations being explored. Greatest cover up in history, it stands they never reported. Between me and you, Max, we might need to smush the reporter. Now the past burdens define all we care. Go ahead and lead the way, Queen. We right behind you in solidarity. We do this shit with confidence. We the last living mind. Peace, blessings, and well ready. Let's be live, dude. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Peace, so, blessings, yeah, yeah. and war readiness. That's what I'm yes, talking indeed. about, brother. Yes, indeed. How y'all doing out there, man? Yeah, man. Uh, you know how it is. We are fighting in that fight. Just like you, bro. Right. Trying to change right. these things and, and open people's minds to, you know, a different answer to the problem than just trying to right. fix everything. Some of these things right. should not exist. It shouldn't exist. They should be abolished, ended, overdone with, not twisted right. and turned and tweaked until. I mean, do you want freedom or do you want bunny slippers? You know, do you want <laughs> <For> real, huh? <laughs> do you want better food or do you want a life outside of that cage? You know, 
Right. Some things, so, some yeah. the uh, the temporary gratifications ain't gonna get it, man. Right. You know what I'm saying right. we yeah. want freedom. Right. We want freedom. Give us free. That's what I'm talking about. Thanks, right. thanks uh, for sharing that work with this poet. I appreciate you, brother. I'm, I'm glad you're All right, all right man, man. All right. Anything you want to leave us with? Yeah. I mean, brothers, y'all, y'all just keep your eyes open out there, bro, and continue to continue to fight. You know what I'm saying, bro? We all struggles on we all struggle on different levels. You know what I'm saying? So all right, good, but we just gotta keep the Definitely. fight, man. Thanks, thanks. Fight, Keep man. listening Keep to that heck of a stuff tonight, bro. All right. Get at me. All right. Um, so, yeah, man, that was our brothers out in Angola right now. We're dealing with that 10-2 situation, you know, with right. oh, the living monuments of Jim Crow in Louisiana, where people were sent to prison for life on an all-white jury. They didn't even have 12 people to convict them. And the Constitution has already been breached. The Supreme Court has said that this is a violation of the Constitution, and yet those who were convicted are still in cages. That's what's crazy about it is because the U.S. Supreme Court openly admitted it violated the Constitution. It violated equal protections, their equal protection rights. It violated uh just all of their basic human rights, but then at the same time, the Supreme Court said, yeah, but there's nothing we're going to do about it. You just got to right. stay there. We admit they were wrong for doing it, but now nah, you're just stuck there because the Supreme Court had the opportunity to make this retroactive and for the brothers to come home. They basically said, we'll change the law going forward, but for the rest of you, you're just stuck there. You know, I was listening to Akon recently. Uh, Akon is building Akon City. Uh, I believe I was in Senegal. He's from Senegal. And Mm -hmm. he was expressing about how people in Senegal don't even think about slavery. That's like old news for them. They don't move past that. Uh, And he was saying that in America, black people uh, tend to focus on the past too much and they carry around too much weight and basically advising that we should just give all of that up uh, reparations out the door It ain't never going to happen And that we should just pack up and leave and move To Africa And I'm like man that is so easy for you to say When you still got when you got your name You know what I mean that, That's your actual name That can be traced back for generations and generations You know Most of us don't have right. that You know And we're still being enslaved Remember you the brother that sang Locked up won't let me out Come on man Right launched them in the prominence. song launched them in the prominence. Launched them in the prominence. And I've heard that on a number of occasions from various nations in Africa. I I have friends throughout Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, Mm -hmm. uh, and such. And they all pretty much said the same thing, that they, they won't pass slavery. Like, Africa, it has a long, rich, millennial long history. You know what I mean? So for them, that was a blip uh, on the radar, just boom, and it's gone. But for us, that's our origin story over here. You know what I mean? It's right. what we're still dealing with right now, uh, and we need the help. We, we, we need the help of the African nations uh, to, to look out for their children. You don't treat your kids like that. Well, you know, it's your own fault. You should leave. <laughs> you know, we don't even think about you anymore. Like, another kid? I don't know about no another kid. 
Like that's how it sounds to me, and that that's not that's not cool at all. Um. So anyway, go ahead, Yusuf. I know you want to say something about that. Yeah, I just was gonna say, you know, your last name is not your last name. My last name is not my last name. You know, my we don't have a culture. Our culture is based on someone else's culture. You know, our language is someone else's language. You know, many of us, our religion is someone else's religion. You know, everything that was naturally ours passed down through the generations, we were stripped of that. It was beaten out of us. So to have the people who we have the connection to, like like you said, our parents, our relatives, to turn around and tell us, just get over it. I mean, we hear that enough here. Just get over it. You know, but no one ever considers the psychological effects, effects the generational psychological effects of what happened. And it's not something that you can just so easily get, o- get over when it's still happening. It's not right. like slavery went away. It evolved. We talk about it every week on the program. It evolved. It's still happening. At any given moment, I can be thrown right back onto the plantation. We just had two brothers call in from the plantation. They're on a plantation right now where tomorrow morning they'll be forced to go work for nothing. Hey, we got another call. We want to take it now? That's, yeah, that's our boy, Sean. All right. What's happening, brother? Uh, welcome to Abolition Today with Yusuf and Max. Hey, guys. It's, uh, hey, what's right going on, on, Sean? I just wanted to say um, thank you for, um, even though uh, the Queen Mother couldn't be with us um, on the show tonight, thank you for keeping her words um, alive. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she appreciates that, and I appreciate that. Um, and I was just um, thinking back, because it's done, I remember the um, 2017, the millions um, uh, march, and that's right when I was kind of, um, I would say, kind of on the fence about, you know, should I join this movement, should I not join this movement, and <laughs> You know, like knowing, I know a lot more now, but knowing enough to know there's something seriously wrong. And so I um, also want to thank you guys for um, for the knowledge, but also thinking in 2017 um, with uh, um, Charlottesville and our current um, president saying that's what made him, you know, go into the race, you know, and, you know, try to redeem America. Um, also, um, Queen Mother was in Charlottesville, um, I believe, around – I think a little bit before that, talking about a global perspective on reparation, you know, so sometimes we kind of um, get caught, you know, the terrorism, which is really real, but also the people pushing against that and pushing for the freedom and for the reparation. And so it's kind of, it's nice to have, um, hopefully us all on the same page, you know what I mean? Like in that year, you know, seeing the pushback, you know what I mean? Um, If that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. Indeed, man, and it it definitely does. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm concerned, like you are. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, brother Sean Darling introduced me to the Queen Mother. Uh, it took him a while. <laughs> it took me a while to finally get in contact with her, but it happened. You know what I mean? Everything in its own time, just like he introduced mm-hmm. me to George James. So he's been doing his work uh, by being mm-hmm. a hyperlink, a living bridge between people. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Now working out in Maine, uh, trying to get their exception 
a protection for slavery in Maine as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, too, I was just going to, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get um, rescheduled with, the, with the, the Queen, um, but she also, in addition to the movie, has a book um, called Redlining a Holocaust, Memorials and People of the Afro-Atlantic. So right there, you know, she's coming at it from a human rights perspective, from a global perspective, from a historical perspective, and calling it a crime against humanity. It's not just you see people from maybe like a labor perspective, or it's just a policy, you know, like to, and if you read that book, it's really gripping, and it's really like you feel like you're the story and the, the depth of the suffering, you know, and also like within the context of, you know, massive crimes against humanity. Um, so yeah, I, I encourage people to, um, to look into to her work as a scholar as well. Um, we'll definitely get her website up on our on our page, so uh, just go to Abolition Today on Facebook and click the website, and you'll see her list of books. She is indeed a scholar and an author, uh, and uh, we look forward to having her here. Uh, I believe she's gonna be all right. I believe that. And yeah, I, of course. I want you all to believe it with me, and we'll make it happen. Uh, gonna liberate her from the illness. <laughs> Theology of <laughs> liberation. We're gonna believe it. <laughs> Collective consciousness. I like that. Yeah. Yes, that's it, exactly. Hey, I want to play a clip, too, uh, and you can listen in with us, Sean, maybe give comments afterwards, but I don't know if people are aware of it, but Ghana's chiefs recently apologized for their participation in slavery, and that was back in 2018. Uh, The chiefs of Ghana uh, gave an official apology. Uh, I want to go more deeper into that what's around that apology, but I think we should listen to it first. Uh, so let's do that. Uh, Yusuf, you okay? With that? Yeah, you were actually reading my mind. That's how I wanted right. to go next. Yeah, let's listen to that, and then we got some commentary on the other side. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. We are very privileged to be with you, particularly our brothers and sisters from the Caribbean. And the diaspora and the people from all over Africa, our brothers and sisters from all over Africa. I wish at this point particularly to apologize deeply on behalf of the chiefs and people of Gold Coast and Ghana for the atrocities, the cruelty, the inhuman treatment that were committed 400 years ago by my ancestors during the Atlantic slave trade. Where over 400 years ago, millions of our brothers and sisters were captured sold and transported under inhumane and cruel circumstances through Elmina Castle across to the Caribbean and to the New World. On behalf of the chiefs and people of Ghana, I do render unqualified apologies 
deep from the bottom of our hearts. Deep from our bottom of our hearts. But one thing that I want you to be aware of, it was not without resistance. Some of our chiefs did fought and resisted. Some of our people did fought and resisted. But we are fighting, a losing fighting against a stronger army. People with guns, we had no guns. They deceived us with liquor and all other temptations. Whatever the circumstances that led us to us, we stand here to render us. And it's my wish and prayer that this apology is accepted. It's accepted by our brothers and sisters from the diaspora. May the blood of Jesus assist us to overcome that evil that never again, never again should be witnessed. This cruelty, this inhuman cruelty of man to man in this country. I thank you once again on behalf of the chiefs and people of Ghana we do render this apology and I ask my colleagues to add a few words to what I have said to you and it's my wish and prayer that in the name of the blood of Jesus you do accept our apology Thank you very much. We stand here once again symbolically at the gate of no return. We stand here as husband and wife. We stand here as the African male and as the African woman, the African family, the African community, the representatives of an African nation in a diaspora. We have come to say that we've heard your words. We have discerned through our experience and through our journey that what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Through all our trials, through all our tribulations, God has a plan. That plan involves us standing together. Abolition. That was the Ghana Chiefs apologizing for slavery, and it you heard the music with it was AZOF Beats, African Love. Yusuf or Sean? Sean, please. Yeah, I was just gonna say I've um the the um context that I um met Queen Mother um was through a course in college on reparations. Um so I believe um that Ghana, Nigeria, um, Ghana, Nigeria, can you think of a third country? I'm sorry, um, had apologized previously. So, um, not sure what the purpose of this apology is, but, um, and I'm not questioning anybody's sincerity, but it's just, um, um, 
what our Queen Mother has taught me also too is that um, with the international decade um, for people of African descent, the first step in reparations is acknowledgement. So I'm not sure if there's anything to do with that. I'm sure that she could more clearly address that. Um, well, she's not here to, to do that. So we're just going to go ahead and cover the issues about this situation happening across the African continent with these prison models that are happening. And I played mm-hmm. that uh, apology which was from 2018 for a reason. <clears throat> um, you know, he, he, the chief said that never again mm-hmm. do they want this, this inhuman cruelty. Well, chief, I don't mean any disrespect, but if you just drove some miles down the road, you'll see it right there in your own country happening within your prisons mm-hmm. in God. Some of the worst conditions that human beings could exist in uh, the same as chattel slavery, basically, right there in your prisons in Ghana. Uh, we've seen the imagery and the videos and read the story and did the research. Uh, here, let me read this for you real quick. Um, the prison in Ghana, built to accommodate 700 people, now houses approximately 4,000 inmates, almost six times the number of people intended. All of the prisons in Ghana combined should house no more than 8,000 people. And currently, they accommodate more than 14,000 inmates. That's from Amnesty International. Um, so if you really care about these inhuman cruelties and you're apologetic, you can start right at home because we need your help. But I don't know how we're going to get it if you're dealing, you're, you're mimicking the oppressor's techniques on your own people even worse. Because, you know, they don't have the billions to build prisons like they're doing in Alabama here in the United States where they get two or three billion dollars to build two or three prisons. They don't have that. Uh, So they have these colonial buildings that literally look like something from the gate of no return, uh, where men are dying of starvation and disease and malnutrition, and they're sitting in the cells so packed that they have the only way they can fit is knee to back, knee to back, like it's a slave a ship carrying black bodies. And you're doing that to your own people right now. You see? So I just came across an article uh, written by someone who was formerly enslaved in Ghana. His name is James, James Kofi Annan. He's no relation to former U.N. President uh, Kofi Annan, or U.N. Secretary. But in the article, he says, in 2016, the Walk Freedom Foundation released an updated global slavery index, estimating that there are more than 45 million people trapped in modern slavery today. There isn't a country in the world that isn't touched by modern slavery, but in Ghana, it is estimated that 103,300 people are modern-day slaves. The International Labor Organization estimates that 21,000 children are engaged in hazardous labor on Lake Volta in Ghana, the largest man-made lake in the world. Here's the, here, I have one more paragraph to read, and this is the part that really gets me. It has been 30 years since I was a victim of child slavery. At the time, I did not realize that I was a victim. I took the whole enterprise to be a noble adult-child labor and apprenticeship relationship. I thought that working more than 16 hours every day for a cumulative period of seven years of my life was all supposed to be training for me to take up the mantle of recycling the abuse process. I would go through the torture socialization process so that when I became an adult and I set up my own fishing business, 
I could acquire other children and transfer the same abuse to them in a contentious desecration of the dignity of our children. This is Ghana today. Ghana today. See, this is what I'm saying. We need the help of the African Union. We need the motherland to look out for our children over here. But you can't do it if you're mimicking the same deadly techniques on your own people. Uh, so I, I don't even know what to say at this point right now. Maybe as, as Sean would remind me, if the Queen Mother was here, she would have something to say because she's a Pan-Africanist, you know, trying to link all of these diasporas mm-hmm. uh, together. Um, but it looks like they need help too. Maybe we can work together on this and end it all across the globe. You shouldn't be doing right. this at all. And you know who's behind are these large corporations. As I mentioned earlier, G4S is uh, – well, let me read what I have from the article by G4S. G4S is the world's largest security company measured by revenues. It has operations in more than 90 countries with over 533,000 employees. By 2012, it was the largest European and African private employer. It operates in 29 countries in Africa. They provide employment to more than 120,000 employees in Africa and they were awarded top employer certifications in three, 13 African countries in 2017, also in 2018. They are the largest security company on the continent, and they're both the largest private employer in, on the continent of Africa and the second largest private sector employer in the entire world, this prison company uh, that is behind so much of it, showing them how to exploit their own people by throwing them in cages and collecting tax money on it. Uh, but the brutality that's happening on the African continent is beyond belief. You, you know, Max, uh, as a caveat to that, uh, from an article entitled G4S Saga Ends, the shareholders accept $5.3 billion Allied Universal Offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the G4S, the G4S takeover uh, came to this in the merger between G4S and private equity-backed Allied Universal will create the world's largest private security company, generating more than 18 billion in revenue and employing more than seven, 750,000 security guards and other staff. And I did some digging, so I came across the a document that's entitled, it's, it's basically the actual cash offer and it's the comp, uh, compulsory acquisition of G4 shares. So it's, it's showing you how the shell game is going to play from there. And reading through it, you can see that besides Allied Bitco slash Allied Universal, and for those in the U.S., you know, if you've ever heard of Allied Barton, it was just a little security company. You know, many office buildings use Allied Barton. This is also part of the Allied University and Allied Bitco company. But then they have the PR firm Teneo. Uh, then they have their financial advisors, Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, uh, Moelius and Company. And it breaks down how the employees and the funds are transferred between the different companies. Uh, so... It, it actually opens as a PDF, so I provided a link for the PDF for anyone that wants to read into that. Uh, there was something else I wanted to mention about 
was it about G4S? No, that was all that I had to say on the G, G. Oh, yes. So with this this bidding, there was another company out of Canada called Garda World, G-A-R-D-A, World. Uh, and I'm going to do some research into find out, finding out who these people are. And, you know, why, why were they going for a bid for uh, G-Force? We know it's a big money grab because Allied University has no prior experience with prisons. Reading through their website and their history, they've 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 had no no prison involvement prior to now. That's big money we're talking about. An international slave trade used or disguised as a justice system, where right. nations have adopted prison for profit models that were created right here in the United States with the exception clause of the Thirteenth Amendment and convict leasing. Just like Hitler adopted our Jim Crow laws, the rest of these uh, nations are adopting our prison as an economic development program model. It's it's a horrible, horrible circumstance. All right, well, uh, any commentary did you want to add to that, Sean? Um, So it's just um, two quick things. Uh, The third... Um, African country that apologized I feel silly now <laughs> in the context of the night show but was, was Benin in the late 90s I think 1999 so I believe Benin um, Nigeria and um, Ghana are the three countries um, African countries that have apologized for mm-hmm. um, for their role um, in the in the slave trade or I guess you say slave in, the trade enslaved Africans I should say um, to make it more um, to mean to the victims, um, but also um, thinking about how symbolic it can be. Um, um, in 2008, um, uh, Representative Steve Cohen um, apologized for slavery and Jim Crow, and he actually used the book you guys used in your show um, called "Slavery by Another Name" by Douglas Blackman. Um, right. Who mm-hmm. know till I write closer as a correspondent, correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. Um, so obviously, in my mind, that's a symbolic gesture because you know in Tennessee, where um, Martin Luther King was assassinated, um, in, uh, in Memphis, I believe, right, in the hotel. Yes. yes. Um, right. So, but also going back to journalism, you know, we know that um, not to get off track, but um, with the the controversy um, with um, Nicole Hannah Jones um, being denied tenure in the University of North Carolina. You know, being a journalist and not going to Howard uh, University in Washington, which I think I spoke to Max earlier, you know, we know is the district that has slavery. You know, she's made that that part of her academic career, you know, so to move to an area that has slavery and not make the connection would be, you know, um, very, I don't want to say (laughs) shameful, but it would be very... um, Ironic, I guess, in a way. Yeah, you know? it would be strange, like, if she doesn't really... Well, you know, not everybody knew it. I didn't even know it. You know who turned me on to it was Dennis Febo. Dennis was like, right. yo, did, that, did you know? Because I had, like, 23 mm-hmm. states I had researched that had it. And then he turned me on to Puerto Rico and New York. I didn't mm-hmm. know it was, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, That's yeah. true, yeah. So but it's not it's not If you're listening you know, but... today, you know now. <laughs> <laughs> right. The whole uh, notion of um, 
of journalism and the, the stuff that you guys have taught, you know, is being, you know, there can be a lot of misinformation, you know, um, <laughs> so just kind of making those connections and, you know, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that. Thanks. I appreciate the commentary. Uh, I want to go ahead and get into our music break, which is, you know, we never do just music. It's always educational or inspiring, but we got a music break coming up. Uh, but before I go there, I want to give the brothers out in Angola an opportunity to chime in. Anything you brothers want to add to this before we get in our music break? Yeah, I'm uh, um, Matt. Yeah, I'm here, Lonzo. All right. Uh, I'm here, yeah, too. Uh, one thing, yeah, one thing that I wanted to uh, tell him, the brother, or not, that's one of the things Malcolm X envisioned uh, or not for the black uh, descendants in Africa, is that if uh, we just move together on a united front, and the queen is definitely taking the lead, but like you alluded to earlier or not, if uh, we're enslaving our own people, and you know that's the rhetoric that we uh that we're going to be up against it. Now, we, we definitely need to look into those matters and whatever assistance that we can give our, uh, our brothers around the nation. And now, we definitely need to stand in solidarity on it. And uh, I will leave with a final note. Uh, we still is uh, pushing. Uh, they had one district judge have ruled it retroactive. So it's, uh, right now it's going to be uh, probably appealed to the Louisiana Supreme Court so, uh, like I said, we look at it like a match, like a fight match. So, right now we're in round three or whatnot. And uh, we got Jason Williams, uh, Arlene Farish, district attorney. He's doing uh, interesting things. They have opened a civil rights division, and he's placing all of his 10 twos under that division. So, uh, no matter really what the Louisiana Supreme Court does, if uh, you was convicted in Orleans Parish, uh, he's, he's, he's creating a program where uh, either uh, cutting deals or either go back to trial, and that's better than uh, the rest of the parishes or whatnot. So uh, right now uh, the plight that we're uh, pursuing is uh, taking matters to the Justice Department and the Civil Rights Division. And uh, I believe that they have a sister that they had put at that position. She's the first black woman that's holding, I think her name is Claw. She's the first black woman that's holding the civil rights division down. So uh, we'll definitely uh, be, be on the program to tell you more about the campaign. Thanks, man. Appreciate that, man. Hey, do they have a, a conviction integrity unit there in the right, state? Right, right, right. They have a, they they have have a wrongful conviction integrity. And it's something we need to be doing all around the state. And uh, like you said, they have an organization out of Harvard University named Fair Prosecution. And uh, the data that they basically collected is that DA seats are hardly ever challenged. So if we could put a progressive DA in, uh, around the country or whatnot, uh, whatnot, we don't even really have to wait on the Supreme Court, uh, no court. Uh, we can uh, change laws with policies or whatnot. And that's definitely uh, what Jason Williams is doing. So uh, anybody that's tuning in, you can just uh, follow Jason Williams' campaign or whatnot. And uh, I'm holding back endorsement because you know how politics is, but uh, he's, he's doing uh, very uh, tremendous work or whatnot, and i got to give credit where it's due. Thank you, fam. All right, we're going to go ahead and get into this music break. Um, we got a, Why America Throws the Poor in Prison, and that's from Chase Madar. Uh, he's a professor of law at the NYU uh, Gallatin, and that's going to be followed by Prison Song from Tommy Butler featuring Carlton Williams. You're listening to Abolition Today 
with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 Mass incarceration is expensive. But for the well-off, it turns out to be a lot cheaper than actually solving the problem. So the U.S. government decided to combine the harshest penal state in the world with the stingiest welfare state. This carceral approach was also effective politics, with white voters terrified of rising crime from increasingly non-white cities. Republicans and Democrats alike saw a way to exploit racist fears and get cheap votes. It started with Richard Nixon's promise of law and order in 1968. Ronald Reagan vowed to get tough on crime in the 80s. By 1996, a Democrat like Hillary Clinton was warning of young, quote, super predators with, quote, no conscience, no empathy, people who must be, quote, brought to heel. Over those decades, politicians from both parties and at all levels passed harsher and harsher laws feeding the prison system. The war on drugs started in 1971. Cruel mandatory minimum laws came in the 1980s. Three strikes laws arrived in the 90s. You could be put away for life without parole for stealing a pair of socks if it was your third offense. Tough on crime prosecutors and judges gained office across the country. Huge sums of money were spent on building new prisons, which housed millions of people. As a result, incarceration rose dramatically. In 1968, America's prison population was 102 per 100,000 people, in line with other developed countries. By 2005, it had risen sevenfold to 737 per 100,000, the highest in the world. Even as crime fell, with murders in New York dropping 90% in the 90s, mass incarceration kept on growing. Why didn't prison populations fall once crime started declining? It's because prisons are by no means only about crime. They're also about keeping the least advantaged people in line. Prison has become the place to warehouse people with mental illnesses, people experiencing homelessness, and people with addictions that the system is not designed to help. Instead of solving these problems, we use prison to disappear the people who have these problems. With this surging population, prisons are crowded and violent. People in prison are robbed of their humanity, often brutalized by guards, and without real rehabilitation or good options for re-entry into society, are sometimes turned into the hardened criminals the system believes them to be. That's why academic evidence suggests that prisons make people more likely to engage in criminal behavior, not less. You can't eradicate crime without eradicating the root causes of crime, including prison. And it was poor and non-white communities that were the hardest hit. Hurt by deindustrialization and then criminalized by the state, black men born between 1965 and 1969 have been more likely to go to prison than to graduate from college. Less educated people in general are victims of this. A white man without a high school degree has a 25% chance of being imprisoned in his lifetime. A black man without a high school degree has a 70% chance. Mass incarceration has done massive harm to our communities, our families, our children, and to the millions of people caught up in it. Mass incarceration cannot exist in a healthy society. It is an intentional humanitarian disaster, a war by the ruling class on the poor and the marginalized. 
Mass incarceration is a choice, but it's their choice, not ours. This is Chase Madar, professor of law for the Gravel Institute. What can you do with that? Oh, you better collect your people. Freedom is waiting out here. Don't have to go to Of how the rhetoric, you know, used to be tough on crime, and now with um, 
our current vice president. I know that she wrote a whole book, I believe, that's smart on crime, so kind of making it seem, you know, like we're trying to do something when we can't even name the problem as being slavery. Um, so just I'm sure that we could draw, you know, a pretty linear um, graph from, like, the um, – from the 80s until the present, you know, even though the, the rhetoric's changed a little bit, it's still the same intent, you know? It's still, you know, slavery. <laughs> right. And, and also, you too, know, the fact that... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, um, you know, and it also it seems to assume that the real criminals are the poor and not the people committing these crimes against humanity, so we need to flip the script a little bit and say, you know, if we're talking about international tribunals, the whole, you know, who are the real criminals... <laughs> You know, or who are the who are the people causing the most harm? And you know, and that's usually not the people on the bottom. <laughs> you know, it, it usually isn't people on the bottom. So there's a whole, you know, the whole narrative is like about class, class racial and class control. <laughs> you know, and the people who are not who are causing the most harm are not being held accountable, or at least you know, um, we're trying to change that. But um, yeah, so I think that whole narrative can be also problematic. Uh, and so, Max, so. I see you have a note here on this. I do? Yeah. So right. I think you forgot about it, but I'll, I'll just put it into the into the historical record. <laughs> a black man with no – part of what was said in in, in the, uh, the track that we just listened to, a black oh, man yeah. with no yeah. high school education has a 70% chance of going to prison in his lifetime. A white man with no high school diploma has a 25% chance of going to prison in his lifetime. There are an estimated 20 million black males in, in America, making up approximately 6% of the U.S. population. With well over 120 million white males in the U.S., they represent 31% of the U.S. population. Both groups respectively make up approximately 40% of the carceral population, with about a million members from each group perpetually going in and out of prisons. A million people taken from the diaspora community that only has around 10 million adult males versus a million from a group that constitutes over 60 million adult males. This is just stats for prisons, not jails where another 11 to 12 million people are shuffled through annually. And they still call it mass incarceration as if it affects everyone equally. I know some elders who would call it white sacrifice for black enslavement. This isn't rocket science. It's basic math offered to provide clarity. And as I'm reading that, Max, I'm thinking of all the statistics that, you know, when we go from state to state and we say, okay, blacks make up 1% of the population, but they outnumber whites 18 to 1 or 15 to 1, or blacks make up 3% of the population and they out number whites in prison 12 to 1. These are outrageous imbalances. So, again, it's not mass incarceration because if it was mass incarceration, they would be equal. It would be the per capita would be the same or would be much larger. If they're, if, if they're uh, 6 to 1 whites, then you would see those numbers reflected in the prison population if it was mass incarceration. But we know it's something greater than that. Yeah, and, and the numbers, you know, they portrayed as equal because it's like a million whites and a million blacks in prisons, right? And the rest is uh, Hispanics and others. Um, so mm-hmm. the problem is there's only 10 million adult black males in America. 
So if you got a million of us, that's a huge impact on everything about black America. Everything. Right. Take a million men out of this, and not just one, you know, one time, but doing it perpetually. There's always a million. Might not be the same million, but it's always a million going in and out all the time. The effects that has on a community that's only 10 million is uh, catastrophic. In the meantime, the same amount comes from a pool of 60 million adult males. It doesn't even, it might not even make a major ripple effect. Right. Yeah, that's a blip. That's a blip. It's Africa going, we forgot about slavery. We're moving on. You catch up. (laughs) And then when you, then when you throw in the sentence disparities, that, that's even a bigger impact. You know, where we're talking one in three black males are going to prison and they're talking one in six, or actually, if it's going to be what? six times, one in 18 white yeah. adult males go to prison. Mm-hmm. One in three compared to one in 18. And you yeah, add in sentence disparities. And all that depends on where you're at in America. You could be, if you're in Milwaukee, it's more than one in two black males expect to go to prison. No other place. Your mic, your mic is chopping a little bit. Oh, sorry, it's a storm going on out here. Yeah, it's crazy okay. numbers, man. Nowhere else in the world would it be acceptable like that. Just nowhere else in the world where you could tell your children, if you got three, well, one of y'all is probably going to go to prison. How do you even say that? Right. <laughs> and there ain't no magic formula, contrary to what others might tell you, to protect you from this system and the system of slavery and white supremacy. There's no amount of money, no amount of prestige that can stop your child from being pulled over by a cop. Ask Bill Cosby, <laughs> you know, uh, from being pulled over by a cop. I, I, these crazy people will pull you over and kill you at any time for anything. Anytime. Anyway, yeah, I'm on a rant over here. Let me open up this mic for these brothers in Angola so they can get in on this. They're probably pissed off, too, hearing that shit. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, fam? You got something to say over there? Hey, Casino, SP, you guys are live on the air again. They may not be able to talk. Or you may be muted. All right, well, it's not a lot of background noise, so uh, I'll leave it open. If they get in, they'll they'll get in. Um, Sometimes they have to hide the phone. (laughs) Yeah, right. How to make a declaration that they wanted reparations from Britain uh, was to take $38 million and build a prison. It sounds like they're going to go back on. Is that you, Lonzo? Yeah, that's that's me. We're not. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to just let everybody know that we appreciate all the support that we get from the radio or whatnot. And uh, we uh, we got uh, Sister Celinda and Monique. Well, we're not. They're listening live too. We're not. They have a, they have a listening party in, in in New Mexico, Albuquerque. So I wanted to say the uh, the awesome things that they're doing and whatnot. They uh, they have created a community. Or whatnot, and uh, like I say, uh, we we just need to understand that we control our own destiny. Or whatnot, and uh, we got a few projects we're working on. I don't want to really mention them at this moment, but uh, we definitely are not asking for reparation. We're taking reparation. And uh, one of the things that uh, I was talking to my brother about, and he was talking uh, particularly about New Orleans, because uh, we're able 
elect uh, elect uh, a candidate and an individual like Jason Williams, that's saying that we can basically uh, tax uh, tax uh, tax our way to reparation or whatnot. And you can call it as a tax or whatnot, but uh, all of the Confederate uh, statues and things of that nature or whatnot. And uh, tourist attraction, if you come to New Orleans, uh, we put put a certain percentage money toward. And uh, you got a birth certificate in born New Orleans. So that's one of the uh, campaigns that's on the horizon in New Orleans. But we can do this around the country. Shout out to the sisters out there listening uh, at the listening party. Uh, man, I didn't know y'all was having a listening party. You done did that a couple man, times for us. I yeah. appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, definitely yeah, shout man. out to Linda. So Linda, uh I won't say her last name unless <laughs> once I speak to her, I'll see if she wants me to ever shout out her entire name. And it would be great to have her on the show because I do know of a lot of events they've held in New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Linda, yeah, so Linda definitely I'm going to reach out to you and we're going to try to get you in here because it's a yeah. lot of stuff you all have going on down there. And the other sister, I didn't catch the other sister's name. What was her name? Yeah, her name is Moniqua. Okay, Moniqua. Shout yeah, out to you as well. Sister. I don't and, know uh, if I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got a uh, black two or whatnot, uh, uh, Celinda, uh, husband or whatnot. So uh, he's, he's definitely doing the work. They got a uh, deep bone. And uh, it's, it's a whole family of them or not. And uh, we're, we're basically, they're teaching us how to organize better, effective in New Orleans. And let's show you how serious things is. Uh, one of my friends, he, had, he met a pintail, and she's uh, moving from uh, Milwaukee all the way down to New Orleans to help with abolitional work. So, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that's definitely uh, interesting or whatnot. If you meet a person online and she say that she want to help and she's coming, she's packing up bags at the moment. And we have uh, Lincoln. He's also in New Orleans, and he's helping. So, uh, like I said, we got uh, some very interesting people or not, and uh, the most uh, terrific thing, and we got a diverse group of people or not, and I think that uh, resonates uh, what we're doing or not and the importance of it or not, that it's not so much uh, is a black and white thing or not, we're dealing with humanity rights or not. And uh, like you said, in Louisiana, we're still living under Jim Crow, and uh, I know that you, you, you hear me constantly say it, but uh, that's that's the reality or whatnot. We're living in two different worlds. Uh, Louisiana is, is, is somewhat of a ruggish nation. You will never see in no other place outside of Louisiana with laws. Uh, it's the worst is probably, I would say, in modern times in, uh, in industrialized nations. So uh, we definitely need to uh, stand in solidarity with us. And we uh, appreciate uh, the, the opportunity that Max and our sign has given us uh, to, to, to uh, reach out to the world or whatnot and give them our story. So uh, probably in the following weeks or whatnot, we're working on our uh, our T-shirt campaign, and we're raising funds to uh, hire a civil rights attorney to represent each and every last one that was affected by uh, Louisiana Jim Crow uh, racist jury, uh, non-unanimous jury scheme. So uh, we definitely want to just uh, keep, uh, saying that or whatnot, and uh, this is how many times we need to say it to, uh, to let everybody know that we're fighting for our lives and we're fighting for uh, not just our rights, but the rights for humanity. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Um, right, I, I, I'll let y'all go. Appreciate our callers tonight calling in. I got a couple pieces of news that I do want to share. Also, one more clip uh, we want to drop 
and then we still have our Bridging the Gap, which is featuring Brother Tag uh, this evening. So for the first thing, let me get this out the way. A couple pieces of news I just felt needed to be out there. It's a story that came out of the New York Times talking about the New York Police Department gave a boy who was 12 years old a soda can, and he ended up in a DNA database. And then I saw further that they had developed this big trailer into a, 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 a moving arcade that the police have created. And from what I'm being told, this is so that they can collect DNA on children who come to play these games. Now, I don't know if that part is true, but there's a picture of it right there. That you it's can right see. there. It's right there, and the story from the New York Times is right there. I mean, what kind of BS is going on now when you got police out here combing and actively getting DNA on children? A 12-year-old boy using a soda can. That's some, some 007 spy versus spy shit going on right there. This is not police. What is this? It's a clear violation of their Fourth Amendment rights, and definitely, just as you said, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, it's slave catching. And I'm looking, it says the city has 82,473 people in its database. Many of them have no idea their genetic information is there. Man. You know, they need a, they need a warrant or they need probable cause to get someone's genetic information. But here, they're out there stealing it. Right. Uh, the other story that I wanted to get out was in regards to Brother Kevin Strickland, who we've been talking about for weeks here on air, who's in a Missouri prison where they don't pay you nothing for wrongfully convictions if they set you free. Remember, Ricky Kid, he was our guest right. right here at the PCAC and broke all of that down to us. So Brother Kevin Strickland spent 43 years behind bars in Missouri for a crime he did not commit. Everybody knows he's innocent. It's on the governor's desk. The governor swore before God and two other white racist Republicans that he would let those two racist couples that held guns on the Black Lives Matter marchers, he would give them a pardon if the prosecutor uh, dared to indict them, right? But Brother Strickland is sitting on his desk, and he has the nerve to say, I'm not convinced that he's innocent. Who cares if you're convinced? It's not you that needs to be convinced. You, well, what are you, the lynch man now, Governor Parson? Let this man go. You've had this on your desk now for two months after 43 years of innocence in a case. Right. Right. He's racist ass Parson talking about how he's going to pardon the white couple who pulled guns on protesters. But this right. dude got to stay in prison because, you know, I'm not convinced he's innocent. Come, come, somebody come convince me. Hmm. I have so, to take a deep breath on that one, Max. So one update I wanted to give, if we were done with that topic. Yes. Okay. Uh, as you all may recall, we we spoke of Gwen Levy. She's the 76-year-old who was arrested after she missed some phone calls from the officials at her halfway house. Well, the update is, it's great news. She's been released from prison. On Tuesday, July 6th, U.S. District Judge Deborah Chesanow granted the 76-year-old woman a compassionate release, noting that four more years in prison would do little to Levi or Levy, who is a nonviolent 
and in remission from lung cancer. And the judge also stated during her incarceration, she took many courses, worked, and completed drug education. The judge also commended her behavior during home confinement ahead of her arrest. So this is great news. But at the same time, as a caveat to that, there's another article that we have that says prisoners sent home early by the CARES Act dread the pandemic's end. And within the article, it states as the pandemic approaches an end, the clock is ticking for thousands of federal prisoners released under the CARES Act. In the waning days of the Trump administration, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel issued a memo outlining its interpretation of the law's home confinement provision. Once the government declares that the pandemic has ended, the memo said many of the inmates will have to return to prison. One step forward, two steps back, three steps back. Make no damn sense at all. No damn sense at all. Just human right violation after human right violation uh, to keep these prisons filled. <clears throat> right. We try it's to the money. Them, it's, it's all yeah, about always money. Always comes down to the money. It's the price on the head. Right. Exactly. You know, and we see how they skim it off the top in every place you can imagine. Remember the sheriffs out in Alabama who were feeding the inmates their crap and spending $750,000 on the food budget on condominiums and Mercedes-Benz, you know, he was buying. And also out in Mississippi where they found out that the, uh, the, the uh, Lord, what was his position? Uh, Christopher Epps. He was the longest-running commissioner of prisoner, prisons right. in the state of Mississippi. And this man ended up facing 300 years in prison for corruption. He was going from bank to bank to bank. In the course of like one hour, he went to like six banks depositing $9,990 in each bank from the money that he was getting in to uh, give these no-bid contracts out to the people who were taking advantage of a captive consumer base. Uh, uh, anyway, man, it gets worse. Let's go ahead and get into this next audio track because I want to take it back to Louisiana. I really think mm-hmm. that the story of Ronald Green should not be leaving the headlines until uh, the investigations have been pushed as far as they can go. Uh, this is a cover-up that goes all the way up to the governor's office, the Department of Justice involved, the state troopers, the police. They all knew that this man was murdered by state troopers and they covered it up for two years, lying to the family about how he died in an accident. So let's talk about Ronald Green. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Partis and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Newly released video of a deadly arrest of a black man in Louisiana two years ago is drawing more outrage. Today, the family of Ronald Green told CBS News it wants the officers held accountable. We get more now from CBS's Michael George. And a warning, the video is disturbing. I'm scared. I'm your brother. I'm scared. Ronald Green is pleading with Louisiana State Police officers who wrestle him to the ground following a pursuit in May 2019. 
After excerpts were published by the Associated Press, state police released 40 minutes of body camera videos, which show Green being tased and punched from several angles. Officers say he continued to resist. Green can be heard repeatedly saying, I'm sorry. The FBI is investigating Green's death and what led up to it. But on the tape, Trooper Chris Hollingsworth is heard explaining what happened. I beat the ever-living out of him, choked him and everything else trying to get him under control. And the was still fighting and we were still wrestling with him, trying to hold him down because he was spitting blood everywhere. And then all of a sudden he just went limp. Green's family is suing the Louisiana State Police for wrongful death. They say the agency initially claimed Green died after crashing into a tree during the chase. CBS News has confirmed an autopsy report showed head injuries, a broken breastbone, and a torn aorta were factors in his death. Colonel Lamar Davis. Having you know, contacted and spoken with the Green family, uh, I can feel their pain. The Louisiana State Police fired two of the troopers and suspended another. Last fall, just hours after learning he would be fired, Trooper Hollingsworth died in a single car crash. Michael George, CBS News, New York. Straight up. On the highway going about 70. Cops working, but I'm only going 70. Looking at these other cars passing me. But that won't stop some boys from harassing me. So I play it all smooth. Eyes on the road. Vibe to my music. Put on a smile, act like I'm happy. Run like I don't see the pigs right behind me. Knowing that everything legal. No crime, just a black male in the regal. The square I got a pistol in the seat, though. Just how they do my people And I ain't acting like we all innocent nah. But that don't mean that we all menacing True. I can tell that they read my plate yeah. No record, no warrant, have a good day Should've known that they put me over anyway what? Just like they would any other day Damn. They ask me where I'm headed, where I'm coming from uh. They don't need to know where I'm coming from True. We don't talk to cops where I'm coming from Back. They be the ops where I'm coming from
go. Niggas think I'm preaching, I'm just addressing the elephant. It's woo. Yeah, I'm young and I'm tired as well. You ain't got nothing on me, no blackmail. Racism never sat well. Target on my back just because I'm a black male. I will never back down. You ain't got nothing on me, no blackmail. Racism never sat well. Target on my back just because I'm a black male. Abolition. 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 So fuck it, get what they want, get what they want. Nah, we ain't done yet. We need everybody convicted, homie. We need all the police, all these murders, homie. Not just, not just the last one, not just George. We need Brianna. We need all of these motherfuckers convicted. ASAP and the funding. Thank you so much. You my fave, man. This is my dude. He don't be talking about it. He another one. We took our thug life from the streets and brought it to the kingdom. What's up with it? They didn't want us to come. They didn't want us getting saved. The devil was on our heels. He tried it, but guess where we at right now? We gonna make sure. Oh, you gonna hear us. You gonna hear us. All right. That was the uh, deadly arrest of Ronald Green out in Louisiana. Uh, followed by Leon Ross, Blackmail, featuring Are You Yusuf? It's great that we're going to keep Ronald Green and others because we know that they're going to be more, and we're just going to keep their stories out there, keep it in rotation. And the way Leon Ross and Are You just broke that down in the song Blackmail. You know, always I just think back to what SP Live told us earlier in his poem. He said, you know, peace and blessings and war readiness. <laughs> you know, and that's how the track basically ended. It say, look, we're bringing it to the kingdom. For real, Bringing man. it to the kingdom. Yeah, they dropped the, some bombs on there. Um, so, yeah, this is – keep those names on your tongue. Let's talk about Ronald Green as often as possible. That story – Absolutely. That his story alone is worthy of a revolution. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. And right. Brother Strickland is worthy of a hundred thousand people showing up at a prison, going, "Let him out, or else." You know. Right. Uh, it's just how I feel. We, we, we're at the like end of said, our program. Yeah, we're out of time, so, man. So we only got about three minutes left to do our, our thank our sponsors. I want to say that our hearts, our prayers, our wishes uh, go out right now to the Queen Mother. Uh, Benin, uh, that she uh, is restored fully to health. Uh, and we look forward to seeing her when she is. Uh, I want to thank our callers tonight, uh, the brothers out of Angola, as well as Brother Sean, and all our listeners out there with the listening party. I, I know y'all was like, damn, they're playing some hot music, right? <laughs> you would be dropping them right. over here in Abolition today, not just on your mind, but also on your soul. Um, so with that, I want to say thank you for being here. Next week, our guest is going to be Jordan Schott. She's one of the organizers uh, out in Oregon who is responsible for them being on the ballot this year to remove slavery. So Oregon joined Tennessee on the ballot. California's on its way. And next week, we'll have Jordan Schott uh, coming in to tell us the story of how that all came to happen. All right. You we're out here taking it to the kingdom. <laughs> so I just, again, my sentiments to the Queen Mother, wishing you a speedy recovery. We're sending out thoughts and prayers, really sending thoughts and prayers your way, not just as some political jargon, but really sending out thoughts and prayers out to you, wishing you a speedy recovery. Uh, again, thanks for everyone who called in. Thanks, Sean, for, you know, your support as always. Uh I want to just thank 
our sponsors and our partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We uh, Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, tongue got tied there for a second, Samer Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today. Visit the page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Again, Abolition Today is available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us and also visit intheexception.com. Sign the petition to go. It will go to your state's congress congressmen, uh, your state senators, and other local officials. So become part of the solution. And going into our final segment, Bridging the Gap, we have Tag Harmon, who was a co-host, on the, a guest host on the show for a couple of weeks. Uh, Tag is going to be reading Frederick Douglass's 1865 speech on the 13th Amendment, and that's going to be followed by Black Renaissance by Toby Wigway. The revolution will not be televised. So we'll be back next Sunday, uh, July 18th, inshallah, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. Until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace, man. Abolition. Abolition. I do not wish to appear here in any fault-finding spirit or as an impugner of the motives of those who believe that the time has come for this society to disband. I am conscious of no suspicion of the purity and excellence of the motives that animate the president of this society and other gentlemen who are in favor of its disbandment. I take this ground. Whether this constitutional amendment is law or not, whether it has been ratified by a sufficient number of states to make it law or not, I hold that the work of abolitionists is not done. Even if every state in the Union had ratified that amendment, while the black man is confronted in the legislation of the South by the word, quote, white, our work as abolitionists, as I conceive it, is not done. I took the ground last night that the South, by unfriendly legislation, could make our liberty, under that provision, a delusion, a mockery, and a snare, and I hold that ground now. What advantage is a provision like this amendment to the black man if the legislature of any state can tomorrow declare that no black man's testimony shall be received in a court of law? Where are we then? Any wretch may enter the house of a black man and commit any violence he pleases. If he happens to do it only in the presence of black persons, he goes unwhipped of justice. And don't tell me that those people down there have become so just and honest all at once that they will not pass laws denying to black men the right to testify against white men in the courts of law. Why, our northern states have done it. Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio have done it. Here in the midst of institutions that have gone forth from old Plymouth Rock, the black man has been excluded from testifying in the courts of law. And if the legislature of every southern state tomorrow pass a law 
declaring that no Negro shall testify in any courts of law. They will not violate that provision of the Constitution. Such laws exist now at the South, and they might exist under this provision of the Constitution, that there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in any state of the Union. Slavery is not abolished until the black man has the ballot. While the legislatures of the South retain the right to pass laws making any discrimination between black and white, slavery still lives there. As Edmund Quincy once said, quote, while the word white is on the statute book of Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. While a black man can be turned out of a car in Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. While a slave can be taken from old Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. That is what I heard Edmund Quincy say 23 or 24 years ago. I never forget such a thing. Now, while the black man can be denied a vote, while the legislatures of the South can take from him the right to keep and bear arms, as they can, they would not allow a Negro to walk with a cane where I came from. They would not allow five of them to assemble together. The work of the abolitionists is not finished. Notwithstanding the provision in the Constitution of the United States that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be abridged, the black man has never had the right either to keep or bear arms, and the legislatures of the states will still have the power to forbid it under this amendment. They can carry on a system of unfriendly legislation, and will they not do it? Have they not got prejudice there to do it with? Think you that because they are for the moment in the talons and beak of our glorious eagle, instead of the slave being there, as formerly, that they are converted? I hear of the loyalty at Wilmington, the loyalty at South Carolina. What is it worth? Not a straw. I thank my friend for admitting it. They are loyal while they see 200,000 sable soldiers with glistening bayonets walking in their midst. But let the civil power of the South be restored, and the old prejudices and hostility to the Negro will revive. I, the very fact that the Negro has been used to defeat this rebellion and strike down the standards of the Confederacy, will be a stimulus to all their hatred, to all their malice, and lead them to legislate with greater stringency towards this class than ever before. The American people are bound by their sense of honor. I hope by their sense of honor, at least by a just sense of honor, to extend the franchise to the Negro. And I was going to say that the abolitionists of the American Anti-Slavery Society were bound to, quote, stand still and see the salvation of God until that work is done. Where shall the black man look for support, my friends, if the American Anti-Slavery Society fails him? From whence shall we expect a certain sound from the trumpet of freedom when the old pioneer, when this society that has survived mobs and martyrdom and the combined efforts of priestcraft and statecraft to suppress it shall all at once subside 
on the mere intimation that the Constitution has been amended so that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall hereafter be allowed in this land. What did the slaveholders of Richmond say to those who objected to arming the Negro on the ground that it would make him a freeman? Why, they said, the argument is absurd. We may make these Negroes fight for us, but while we retain the political power of the South, we can keep them in their subordinate position. That was the argument. And they were right. They might have employed the Negro to fight for them, and while they retained in their hands power to exclude him from political rights, they could have reduced him to a condition similar to slavery. They would not call it slavery, but some other name. Slavery has been fruitful in giving itself names. It has been called the peculiar institution, the social system, and the impediment, as it was called by the General Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. It has been called by a great many names, and it will call itself by yet another name. And you and I, and all of us, had better wait and see what new form this old monster will assume, in what new skin this old snake will come forth. You ain't gonna be able to stay home, my G. You ain't gonna be able to log in, scroll up, and cop out. You ain't gonna be able to pop a zanny or down a brew during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be on social media. The revolution will not be brought to you by fashion overworn by your favorite luscious-looking IG model. The revolution will not show you images of self-proclaimed patriots scaling capital walls like Miles Morales amidst newly discovered spider powers. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Recording Academy, the Oscars, or the Emmys. And it won't be hosted by Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, or anything as white as the bread used in Jimmy John's. The revolution will not give you full lips like melanated queens. The revolution won't be dipped in hot water to provide you a flat tummy. The revolution won't train your waist to be thinner because the revolution will not be televised, my G. There will be no images of the culture ransacking high-end fashion house storefronts with claims that it's time for them to get back to the hood. CNN won't be able to predict the swing from red to blue deep down south round about them sweet Georgia peaches. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no images of unarmed black fathers being gunned down by poorly trained coward badge wearers. There will be no images of unarmed black fathers being gunned down by poorly trained cowards wearing a badge. There will be no supernatural twerkers to distract you from the workers of iniquity. There will be no clubs open solely promoting everything you need to feed your insecurity. Thirsty Thursday, Freaky Friday, and Live on Sunday will no longer be the epicenter for hype beats from all walks of life. And people will not care if Kanye and Kim's relationship survives on the next season of Keeping Up With the Kardashians. Why? Because black people will be in the streets, not looking for, but creating a brighter day. The revolution will not be on social media. There will be no dance routines on TikTok, and no visuals with smooth transitions or voiceovers to help you kiki the day away. The theme song for the revolution won't be written by Francis Scott Key. The revolution won't be directed by Steven Spielberg, nor sung by Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, or Billy Eilish. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, a white savior, or white people. You won't have to worry about your package from Amazon arriving safely to reveal the unnecessary items you purchased. 
You won't have to worry about if your new iPhone will have the same capabilities as your previous one because the revolution will not be on social media. The revolution won't be seen on a mantle like Louis XIII. The revolution ain't gonna be where the money resides, but the revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be on social media. The revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. The revolution will not be a rerun, my G. The revolution will be live. Abolition. Abolition. Hey, this is Max Parthas, co-host of Abolition Today. If you like what we're doing here and you want to try to support, our cash app is Abolition CTR with a capital A and a capital C. That's dollar sign, Abolition CTR, capital A, capital C. You can also use our PayPal at abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. Peace and blessings. See you next episode.